Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Okay, now I'm recording. Now you're recording. Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Hi. another episode of Pie Factory Podcast. In case you're wondering why I, why Jimmy G in Morris, Illinois sounds so weird, is because I'm having computer problems, and uh, so I'm recording on my downstairs computer with a different headset mic combo, but the upside is I am literally eight feet away from the refrigerator in case I need a refreshing beverage. So I got that going for me. I already have a refreshing beverage. It is a uh, Liney's Summer Shandy. A liney summer shandy. You drink those uh, seemingly quite a bit in the summer. Yeah, the thing is, I really wanted the orange shandy, but they're they're not out right now for some reason. I, I think those are more of a hmm. fall shandy for lineys. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was going to. We're we're recording a, a day late, as you know, and as uh, our friends don't know, but we're recording a day late. And I was actually going to have a Reed's ginger ale, and I'll tell Ooh. you what. And I, I drank that last night. Uh, before we decided we couldn't record. And the reason that I was drinking that was because a listener and friend of ours, Duke, heard what we were saying about ginger ale. And he gave me a four-pack of Reed's ginger ale. It's Jamaican style. It tastes really weird. Yeah. That's something I've never heard of before. Yeah, yeah, Duke says that once he tried that, he couldn't go back to classic. Me, it's the other way around. I, 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 I had to go back to classic. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, I, it, to me, it tastes like tomato soup. If you can follow me there, but uh, I don't know. Tomato soup. But so instead, tonight I'm um, having a Liney's summer shandy. I might nip off to the kitchen, which is just a couple of feet away, to grab an iced tea a little bit later. Oh, well, maybe even a snack. I don't know. Of course, while I wait, there's on the table I'm recording from, there's an unfinished jigsaw puzzle I might work on a little bit too if oh, I get bored. There you go. I just realized I don't have the light on in this room. I should probably I should probably remedy that situation before too long. But um Well, there you have it. There I have Another it. Opener. <laughs> Hide cut so, that out, please. Oh. I haven't used that joke in a while. So, um, so, seems like there was something I was gonna. Uh, well, while you're thinking say. of that, I will tell who I will tell the people oh. who I am, and I am Sean. Yeah, why don't you do that? I am Sean. This is episode what one thirteen? Is it or one twelve? Uh, what the heck episode is, is it? I think it's one thirteen. Yeah, it's one thirteen. Okay, yeah, I could just check on the website. Yeah, so yeah, I I can I concur, I concur. So, yeah. So, what else have you been up to? Well, uh, I got a new job. And I'm very intimidated by it so far, but I'm sure it'll be okay in the long run. Uh, making more than I did at my previous job. Ooh, and nice. with a minimum of a man, a mandatory five hours of overtime each week, that'll definitely help out. So I can actually get the better insurance. Ooh. And I still haven't, they still haven't introduced me to the, the department where I save big money. Mm. So mm. our friends in the Midwest uh, will know what we're talking about. Uh-huh. There. Uh-huh. Eh. You've been telling people where you work. Uh, have you? Have people been saying to you, oh, yeah, I don't like that place. I don't buy anything from there. Nope. Nobody's told me that. Because everybody tells me that about where I work. When I say, oh, I don't like that. So it's like, shut up. All right? That's, that's my livelihood. I'm sure you do a good job, but I don't like an Orella. Try their wings. Okay. I will take you up on that. I do like wings. I, th- I may have had them once. I don't like wings, but I love their wings. 
what's really good. I know you don't work for them, but my daughter introduced me to the Parmesan garlic wings at Buffalo Wild Wings. Those are amazing. I don't think you could screw up Parmesan garlic anywhere because the Parmesan garlic wings at Little Caesars are pretty good, too. Huh. But I will definitely try those. I, I can't eat her or because it always upsets my stomach. I don't know what it is. But um, so there's that. Oh, and uh-huh. on the way home, to, well, I mentioned how I'm on a different computer and I'm having computer problems. That's why I probably sound different. On the way home, I had to stop by Target to pick up a gaming headset to test my computer. And I'm, I guess I'm, I'm just using it here now. I saw something in the toy department at, at uh, Target I almost picked up. Uh-huh. I should have. I didn't. There's a new Pac-Man board game. Re- oh, I think I heard about that. Yeah. It's, tell, tell, it, looks do similar, tell. it looks similar to the uh, the old one from the 80s, but instead of marbles on the board, you're picking up pegs. Hmm. So um, that'll come back to you. So I, I guess I kind of understand why they do pegs, because they don't... They, they won't like roll all over if you just bump sure. the table or whatever. But uh, it does look interesting, and I almost picked it up. But I like you know I, I should probably save a little money right now. I should probably save big, big money, money right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I remember sure the No that. Swear Gamer telling us about a. Uh, in fact, I think he reviewed this on his channel. Uh, a Pac-Man board game from back then that was not the marble game, but it was. Uh, a, a, the board was on a little like tilty thing that was actually controlled by a joystick. Yes, I remember that. Yes, I remember seeing I that video. Mm-hmm. It was it wasn't so much a game as it was like one of those little maze toy novelties that you got. They're, they were always kind of big. They rate those little maze things always ranged from like a, about I don't know maybe an inch or two, like the kind you would always get like in say a box of Cracker Jack back when Cracker Jack didn't suck, hmm. to like ones you could buy like it. That are, I don't know, maybe a foot big, like you can get, like, at, say, a Cracker Barrel, that, that sort of thing. And those are always fun for a little, you know, a few minutes of uh, enjoyment. Hmm. I said, th- you know what? I don't know if it tilted or if it was pushed along by a magnet, now that I think about it. It could have been a magnet. Could have been. Hmm. Could have been. I don't know. I have to watch that video again, but I do remember seeing that one. It will link it in the show notes. Yes. And um, uh, so what have you been playing? What have I been playing? Um, actually, thank you for asking. Earlier today, during my lunch break, I played Baby Pac-Man on the Atari 7800 for a while. And yesterday, during my lunch break, yesterday was great. Was a crazy day because, like, I had my biweekly one-on-one meeting with my boss, and mm-hmm. because neither one of us had much to talk about, we spent most of the time talking about pancakes, but. Uh, <laughs> Yesterday, I played the Atari 2600 Junior Pac-Man for a while and couldn't get past the third maze and uh, Mm -hmm. nothing different there. Oh, what the heck else? Uh, I beat my personal best in Mr. Do. I got 382,000 something, and uh, that was uh, in MAME. I couldn't do it on an actual machine, uh, unfortunately. Speaking of actual machines, I went to an arcade. Woohoo! Oh. Because pretty much all the arcades in the area are open now. Pretty much. The Ghost is open. Uh, Prince Arcades was the first to reopen, I think. Uh, yeah, they I, opened like several weeks ago. They, they, yeah. I think they actually opened about a month ago. Probably. Uh, yeah, Pixel Blast is, uh, I think they're just opening this coming weekend. Uh, probably too late for people listening to this, depending on how fast Hyde can turn this sucker around. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm planning to go, I'm planning to go. It's their big fourth anniversary. I, I really like pixel blast. That's a nice place. 
It's a nice. It's way. a little. It's a little cramped because it's in a smaller space, but it has like a. It has a. Well, you know what? I can't say that. I can't say that it has a unique feel because all of the arcades in the Chicago area each has their own vibe. Oh yes. So I can't say I like one more than the other. It's like underground retrocade seems to be a little bit more upscale. You know, Galloping Ghost is more geared toward the professional player. Pixel Blast has the vibe of just like your your friendly corner neighborhood arcade. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Prince Arcade has the vibe of a mall arcade. It really does. Well, it is a mall arcade, kind well, it, of. It is. But I'm saying in the classic Aladdin's Castle sense. Yeah, except the Aladdin's Castle I went to was like amazing. True. I'm not saying I'm not saying Prince Arcades is not amazing. You're talking I'm amazing saying, in size and selection. Size, You're talking yeah. about the one in Lincoln Mall. Yeah. The I mean, Prince has a really good selection though. They really do. I'm, they all have, seem to have a pretty good selection yeah. regardless of the size of the place. Yeah, exactly. As long as you have like the core Williams, Atari, Sega and uh, Namco titles, you're golden. Yep. Especially the core Williams games. And and I think every one of them has something that you can't find at the other places. Like uh, Prince has Space Zap. They have Space Zap, and they have the Stranger Things pinball machine. Uh, Pixel Blast has uh, the uh, rock, uh, what's it called? Mountain Climber or Hill Hill Climber? They have the they Hill also Climber. have Ice Cold Beer, I believe. I don't think they do actually, unless they, they, something they changed. Hmm. But they have they have, have they, the Hill Climber electromechanical game. They have oh, that's uh, the one that's uh, monster truck themed. Yeah, and they have yes. the. Oh, uh, that's fun! I love that. They have uh, Brunswick uh, handball. Oh, which is the, basically the like, air hockey or the yeah, air handball. Yes. It's air handball. Yeah. And snow brothers, which I don't think any of the other places have. No, I, I think they're the only ones. The galloping ghost has a lot of, uh, ra- like stuff you will not find anywhere, but galloping ghost, mm-hmm. like Beavis and butthead, uh, underground retrocade has Atari football and oh, God, a few yes. other things I'm thinking of. I, I can't think of off the top of my head. And it just goes on. And it was uh, Underground Retrocade that, where I went uh, a couple of Saturdays ago. It was the first weekend uh, that they were reopened. And uh, I don't know what they're doing for Phase 4, but for Phase 3, they have a few rules in place. Like, if it gets too crowded, they will yep. not let people in until people leave. They, uh, Matt, oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to have something over your face the whole time. Uh, uh, they're really, uh, really serious about uh, nipping this stuff in the butt up there. Yeah. Yeah, Pixel Blast too. They they're gonna have they're gonna have some thankfully strict rules too. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you walk in underground retrocade. The first thing you do is you get zapped with one of those like thermometer gun thingies. That they have the amusement parks. Uh, you can't go beyond the counter without uh, using the hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. And Scott asks people to keep at least two unused games between each other. Hmm. Like, for example, like if there's somebody playing a game, then keep at least two game lengths away from that person. But I think that might be easy to do with some of them because of the way he's got the uh, at least the Atari titles set up. They're on an angle. And so you can easily yeah. keep some distance on those. Oh, yeah. Even ones next yeah. to each other. Yeah. I love that they're on the on the angle, though, because it's it, it, like the whole I think the whole reason they're they're on an angle is because of the side art. Side art. And you know what? They also have the. For people who have never been to Underground Retrocade, it appears to have been like a clothing store before it was the arcade. Because upstairs they got like some um, like cubby holes that look yeah, like they yeah. used to be dressing rooms. And he has a machine in each one of those. So, you know, you can play secure in the knowledge that you won't get COVID in any of those cubby holes. That's Provided people neat, follow actually. the rules, of course. Yeah. <laughs> that is a neat setup. Yeah. He, he's oh, yeah. really I, used I, that I like space it. to its, uh, to its uh, full potential. 
go there if you can. If you can. Oh, and I do have a, uh, I don't know if it's considered a pickup because I didn't pick it up. It actually arrived in the mail. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And I suddenly can't find it. Uh, well, it's, oh, here it is. Here. Um, ah. Here it is. I will hold it up to my webcam for everybody who is able to see me so they can see it. Wow, um, it's that large? That's what she said. <laughs> yeah, this is a Wait, custom Vectrex controller, courtesy of one Victor Marland. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, of uh, England, UK. And uh, it's custom made with a uh, joystick on the right, buttons on the left. Uh, this is a beautiful looking controller here. I just used it for, I had this for about a week, but I used it for the first time yesterday. And I'll talk more about why I was using it yesterday later on. And uh, let me see. It's, it's it's got the four buttons arranged in kind of a parallelogram, and I actually lab- they're not labeled on here, so I use a label maker and put my own little crappy ass labels on here. To, uh, it's uh, from from upper left and clock and uh, clockwise. It's four three one two, and it's actually a very good arrangement because it looks like it kind of favors the order in which mm-hmm. you use the buttons uh, or, or, or the ease, I should say. And yeah, it, this, this is a really nice control. Oh, and it has a really long cable too. I mean, the Vectrex stock controllers, the cables are really short, which is understandable because a Vectrex is small. You're not going to sit like 30 feet away from it. Right. Unless you have really good eyesight or a pair of binoculars or something. But yeah, this is a really cool piece of machinery here, and uh, yeah, that's that's that. Um, hmm. Yeah. How about you? Well, uh, I played the games we're talking about tonight. Ditto. I got and um, I got a um, replacement um, USB dongle from Eight uh, Bit Do. And I was playing some Atari 7800 with that thing. That is such, I, you know, honestly, I don't know how I ever gamed without that device. That's now really, which, what does that do? It, it, it allows a USB controller the, and makes it work with your older systems. It allows uh, the 8-bit do uh, or 8-bit do, however you pronounce it, series of controllers work with the DB9 classic console. And so far, it was designed for the Genesis, but it works with the 2600. Oh, okay. All right. Atari 8-bits. Yeah. Um did I get it to work with that or not? I have to double check that. I might not have gotten it to work with that, but the Sega Genesis, the Atari 2600, the Sega Master System, and with if you have the Ed Ladin, uh the Seagull 78 uh, attached to it, uh, then it will work with 7800 with the independent buttons. So, yeah, yeah. that's pretty awesome. Tis. Very well. Very much so. And uh, so I've been playing a little bit of that. Uh, still been playing World of Warcraft. I'm getting frustrated with the game again. And um, just like a, so many quests that well, I've got. It's a good thing you got a job now because wasn't that why you were playing it so much? Because you had time? Yeah, that was a lot of it too. Um, now I get home, I don't feel like playing it. Uh, it seems like there was something else I picked up. That I started playing, but now I can't think of the name of it. Yeah, drawing a blank. But so that's pretty much what I've been doing, what I've been playing. I put an eBay bid on an Intellivision 
Um, yeah, and I, the only reason I, I went, I'm going after this specific one because it comes with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which is the only game I really want. Uh, at I least was going right to say you didn't seem impressed with it when I when saw you play it before. Yeah, but you know what though, I have very limited experience with it, and it's. But I always have kind of liked that Advanced Dungeons and Dragons game. And I want to explore that a little bit more. I've played it in emulation, but in television emulation sucks, especially when the with the controller setup portion of it. So yeah, I'm gonna see if I can't get this for a decent price. I got I'm still winning after two days and with two days and twenty one hours left on the auction. Okay, I'll, I'll give bits. you some unsolicited advice, and if there are any in television fans listening, I'm sure they'll be happy to. Uh, for one thing, if you can get the little things you stick on the uh, controllers to turn them into joysticks, those work mm-hmm. wonders. As I remember from back in the eighties, my cousins had those. And was it is it like the classic like brown and yes. gold? Okay, yes. yeah. Um, my I had a couple of those before, and in both instances, they overheated and the graphics got all scrambled up to the point where you couldn't even hmm. play the game anymore. So you might want to be prepared for that, like see if you can attach a heat sink or something. Okay. Yeah, I believe you did. I remember. I believe I remember you talking about that. Um, I didn't want the in the the Intellivision too because I've heard yeah. there is a lockout chip where you can't play certain third party titles, especially ones by Coleco. Uh, I was interested in the NTV three, but those seem to be going for more than I'm willing to uh, to pay right now. Yeah, I had one of those for a short time, and I, I seem to remember that also had the overheat problem, if I if I remember correctly. I should have bought an Intellivision 3 back when they were out when I was working at Toys R Us, but I never did. That's when the games like Dig Dug and Pole Position and Thin Ice and all of those later titles came out for it. That's when games were games! Back in my day. So, yeah, so that's what's been going on with me, and uh, yeah, so. Yeah. How are you? Uh, I guess. Uh, uh, Good. Uh, Good to hear. So, yeah. um, I guess with that, uh, do we have any news or information, feedback, addenda, errata? We've once again got another email from Eugenio, but uh, yeah. we're going to save that till the end. As we, we also, well, we got a message over Twitter from Ian Cullen, who says, FYI, there's a fine version of Daytona USA for the Xbox 360. And the last time I looked, the 360 wheel was still reasonably priced, hmm. which makes me wonder, is that, is that usable with MAME, the 360 That's wheel? good hmm. question. Because I, I don't have I an believe Xbox. The three, I, I believe the 360 used USB controllers. I don't think the original Xbox did, but I think that 360 may have. I don't know much about the Xbox series because it's Microsoft and... I don't like to give them money unless I absolutely have to. Yeah, um, I've never voluntarily given my given Microsoft any money in my life. That's a good question. Um, uh, if that's the case, I might snag one of those up. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. Well, let's see. I did a search on Asimon for Xbox 360 wheel. Uh, let's see what I got. Oh, Logitech for three seventy three ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> There's Xbox One mini steering wheel for $10.99, but that has dismal ratings. Thrustmaster Ferrari 3. <laughs> that doesn't have a price on it. it. tells me it's not in the... Detector Caddy, 180-degree rotation gaming vibrating racing steering wheel with pedals for Xbox 360 for PS2 for PS3 PC USB car steering wheel, $56.61. With uh, $39.99 shipping, yeah, yeah. no. 
That's a ripoff. No. Yeah, yeah, I no. Well, let's see here. Yeah, I Yeah, it <sighs> looks like the, the there's a, an official Microsoft one which is a hundred bucks. Yeah, no. The Thrustmaster is ninety, I see here on Amazon. That was so, my nickname in college. Um wait, what's this? No, Amazon, I'm not gonna smile. Okay, here's an accessory for those steering wheels. It's by some company. It's compatible with Logitech steering wheels. It's a stand that you can put your steering wheel on and it holds the pedals and it's like 200 bucks. It's not even electronic. It's just a stand. Yeah, I'm not paying three digits for a freaking controller unless it has the name Ed Ladin on it. Yeah, I totally agree. But thank you, Ian. No, thank you for that little but th- heads Yeah, up. thanks for the heads up at the very least. Uh, I'm still going to yeah. keep my eye out for maybe a good steering wheel because for the PC because it might actually work with uh, might actually work with Tempest too. Hmm. Tempest two electric boogaloo. Hey now, when you yelled at me for a joke I did earlier. <clears throat> yeah, but I didn't. This isn't a joke that I've overdone. So uh, you know uh, what? You sure. know what? It's the hardest thing to find is hmm. the movie Breaking. The first one. Yeah. Huh? Because it's not streaming on anything, and I, I don't think it is. And the I can there, everybody has breaking two because the, the library title. doesn't have breaking but it has breaking two like come on man because I haven't seen either of those movies because in the eighties Beat Street was my breakdance movie Beat Street and, was your jam yes it was but now I got to go back and watch the breaking movies but I can't watch breaking two until I watch breaking because I'm not gonna yeah you know. <laughs> The Cinema Snob did a couple of episodes about uh, Breaking and Breaking 2. Which I can't watch until I actually see the uh, the movies. So, yeah. I think I've seen enough of those, mov- enough of those movies. And I haven't seen the movies, but I've seen so many clips in, of, uh, I think, the second one used in music videos for other songs and stuff, too. Huh. Uh, somebody did the, the Slap Chop rap where they took the infomercial for the Slap Chop and put it to a rap beat and made Vince sound like he's, like, rapping. And they used clips from uh, Breaking Two. Let's put the slab chop right there. Let's put the slab chop right there. The skins at the bottom. The skins at the bottom. The skins at the bottom. The skins. Or was it from Breaking? Maybe it was from Breaking One. I don't know. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so do we have any uh, addenda or errata? Otherwise, other than I believe what we've been not. I believe in life after love. Wait, I, I don't think we I don't think we got anything wrong. And I don't think we left what? anything out. We haven't gotten much addenda or errata in recent memory. So either we're doing a good job or our listeners are getting slack in their duties. No, it's just that after five years we finally got the hang of this stuff. Or maybe we're dry, driving away listeners. Could I'm be, pretty could good be. at that. Yeah. <sighs> so Anyway, uh, oh, well, I guess maybe we, we should move on then. Yeah, let, let's move on. So let's talk about some games, shall uh-huh. we? Such as what? Well, which one you want to talk about? I don't know, because I picked last time and I feel okay. inadequate of picking. All right, well, why don't we do tax scan then? Ah, tax scan. Uh-huh. Ah, tax scan. Huzzah, tax scan. So tax-can. let me turn word wrap on here on Notepad. And then I can read. I should probably do. Let's see. Will that work in Notepad? Oh, that does. Oh, awesome. 
So let's talk about Tax Skin. It's a yes, game let's. from 1982 from Sega. It's um, a color vector game. Ooh. Control setup. It's got a dial to rotate your ships left or right. And it's got a button to fire and a button to add a ship to your squadron. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Oh, okay. I already know I've been playing it wrong then. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, maybe not necessarily. Maybe you haven't oh. been playing it to its fullest, which I've found out that's what I've been doing. Ah. But in attack scan, you, the player, hey? must destroy enemies with a squad of ships. There, You have seven ships on the bottom of the screen, and they're kind of in a sort of a pyramid-shaped form. And you have eight ships in reserve. So you got a total of 15 ships to work with here. So that's, that's pretty generous until you realize that uh, seven of the ships are on the screen at the beginning. So the player steers your ships with the dial. And you can steer them to the left, steer them to the right. And you know what a fire button does. Uh, however, <laughs> sure. when one of your seven ships on the screen gets destroyed, you'll see like a little docking, a little area where the ship used to be. And eventually, at one point, the game will have two of your, one or two of your ships, depending on how many uh, docking areas you have open, uh, will descend from the screen, and you have to steer your ships so that you can dock it into the into the area there. Uh, of course, at that point, there's another little alien that comes out and starts shooting your other ships to try to mess you up. So you got multiple things going on. Now, if you get the the ship in the docking area, you have use of that ship again. However, if the top of your formation ship had gotten destroyed, its docking area is red. If you dock one of your ships into that, then the ships change formation. And the first time I had that happen, they went from a pyramid into a straight vertical line, which I actually kind of liked that setup. Really? Because it made your firing a little more, uh, in my my experience, concentrated, a little more symmetrical, maybe, firing to the left or the right. Speaking of firing, this game's got a quirk that you see in many old Atari games, in which that if you hit the fire button... And you hit the fire button again; it'll cancel out your shots, even whether they've not even have not uh, gone to the top of the screen. So you have to—you can't just rapid fire because your ships won't go up to screen. So I think Gorf did that too. Gorf and a few other games that we've talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fi- I'm finding that actually in Tax Scan. Correct me if I'm wrong. I will. But after I think the first level, I think that doesn't do that anymore. I think if you rapid fire, it keeps going. It doesn't. Yes, in the second. Well, I'll get into that in just a moment here. Um, The second screen in the game is the same as the first, but whereas the first is kind of top down, the second screen is uh, third in is in three D, and you're seeing it, but you're seeing the action from behind your ships. And then in the third screen, you're uh, still behind the ships, but you have to navigate a tunnel, and you do that by steering your ships. There's like a green pyramid, and you have to. Try to keep them in there. If you go a little bit off to the side, you'll see a red bar. And if one of your ships touches that red bar, you'll lose that ship. Same thing with, like, say, if you do it on the right. The game is over when all seven of your ships on screen are gone, regardless of whether you have any in reserve. I did mention the add ship button. If you see a ghost image of one of your ships in one of the docking bays, if you hit the add ship button, you'll have one ship automatically appear there. So, uh... Let's uh, go through some scoring here. Uh, yeah, enemy please. ships are 100 points times around the, you know, the level number. Uh, they top out at 800 points. And the little ships that try to shoot your squadron when you're uh, in the docking sequence, those are 1,000 points times the round number. Uh, and again, that goes up to 8,000 points. 
If you destroy two enemy ships with a single missile salvo, it doubles the points for that. And if you shoot three of them, you will get three times the points. So, yeah, use your shots wisely. You get an extra life every 20,000 points, and um, that's the default setting. And as far as ports go, the only port of this game is on the Atari 2600, the only released home port back from the classic era. It's shown up in a few uh, classic compilations over time, but that's the only one. There was a version of this being made for the ColecoVision, uh, but it wasn't very far along when the game was scrapped. Coleco was having, had a subcontractor work on the game before Coleco even got the rights to make the game and release it. Because of that, Sega wanted to hire the normal licensing fee, so it was never released. And I have a link to that where I got that information here. It was on the forums at Atari Age. So when I get back to my main computer, I will give Sean that link so he can put it in the show notes. Oh, thank okay. you. And the only real trivia I was able to find about this game is that the color vector monitor used for tax skin had a serious problem with catching on fire, and no solution to the problem was <laughs> has ever surfaced. So, yeah, what other industry can you have monitors getting ejected and monitors catching fire? I don't know of any I other know. industry. So that is tax scan. Is it now? That is. Now, I will go off and say, Sean, I'm assuming you've probably never played this in the arcade. <laughs> You'd be wrong, Cabinet Sanchez. I would be wrong. Where have you played it? Underground Retrocade. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. They do yeah. have it. But uh, yep. isn't that in a multi, multi-cade machine? Well, it's not really a multi-cade. And I will um, hear the description of the machine is uh, on Underground Retrocade's uh, listing on Orcade.com, A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com. It is a Star Trek strategic operations simulator cabinet. Uh, gotcha. It has a Vector Labs G85 and 1. And you ah, do a certain, okay. uh, you have to do a certain, uh, like button press to, uh, toggle through the games and tax scan is one of them. Okay. What's that? But actually that would say good. That would be, a, it's all Sega vector games. Okay. And actually that would be a good, uh, cabinet to have tax scan on also because of the dial on Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. And my, the first place I ever played it was at the Aladdin's castle at no guess. Northern Illinois university. Actually, yeah, that is for the first time I ever played it and saw. Might be the only time I've ever seen it in the arcade too. So um, huh. I remember going up to it and seeing it was like it was a. It's an extremely colorful game with the with the vector graphics and that. But I can sort of understand why the game never really caught on or never really set the arcades on fire because it just looked like it was yeah. too busy. Even well, though it almost did set the arcades on fire. True enough. True enough. But it just didn't, it just so much going on, it, the game didn't look, it didn't look like it was something that you could just pick up and play, I guess. Maybe it was looked a little messy or something, but even though it's really quite a simple game and a simple concept that I don't think we've has ever seen, I don't think we've ever seen another arcade game where you had all of your lives on the screen at one time and then you had to catch more lives later on. I'm sure there have probably been more, but I've never seen any. Yeah, I can't think of any right now, but that's simply because it's Wednesday and true. I'm in no mood. Yeah. You're in no mood to think. So nope. my thinking time is done for the week. Thinking time. So what did you think of the game? You know, I I highly enjoyed it. Yeah. I really highly enjoyed it. I my first time playing it actually was the Atari twenty six hundred version. I Same remember here. seeing it on Starcade. Mm-hmm. So I was familiar with it through Starcade, and then I played the 2600 version of it, because when I was a kid, 
uh, back in the 80s, my next door neighbor had it. He had the uh, 2600 version. And I, if I remember correctly, you played it with the paddle plugged into the right controller port. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it only had that first screen. Yeah, it didn't have the, uh, the three-dimensional screens for obvious reasons. Yeah. And when the docking sequence came up, there were no other no enemies on the screen trying to uh, to kill you while you're docking. Yeah, yeah, and it was really easy to come up with like p- placement strategies. Like if you're if like uh, you, you want to dock the extra ships closer together so you don't have like the the seven ten split, you know. Mm-hmm. And so in later but, levels when I would play that, I would just try to keep just one ship on the screen at a time because it was easier to dodge the shots and stuff from the enemies. I mean, it, it was a. It, it was, for what it was, a decent port of the arcade game. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was extremely yeah. watered down. It really needed to be, though. And um, I, that is actually one fun, game I, I would like to see a programmer take a stab at for an enhanced oh, version like for the Spiceware or something. Spicer yeah. or um, uh, John Shempo. John Shempo. Sh- yeah, Champ Games, yeah. Yeah, Champ Games. He's got enough on his plate right now. The thing I remember most about the 2600 version is my next door neighbor. There, I know Sega had something. They had like a patch or something if you reached a certain score. Mm-hmm. And my next door neighbor did. And he took a picture of the TV screen and he sent the picture into Sega. And they wrote back to him saying, hey, uh, we're sorry to inform you. We're out of patches. However, here's a copy of our latest game. We hope this is okay. Oh, neat. Yeah, it was Thunderground. Uh-huh which I loved. I loved Thunderground. It's like, see, I thought he made out like a bandit because, man, I didn't care about patches. (laughs) So if I were to send something out, it's like, yeah, it might be nice to have a patch. And they send me a new video game instead. I'd be like, hell yeah. Hell's to the yeah. It's okay. It's kind of like when we first met and interviewed King Henry VIII Mm -hmm. of uh, Game Refuge, of uh, Rampage fame and all that. When he was trying to get a meeting room reserved where he works, but he couldn't get the meeting room. And so he said, uh, do you guys mind if we just meet at Galloping Ghost? <laughs> well, let's see, a boring corporate meeting room or an arcade? Hmm. Yeah, tough decision. What am I going to do? Yeah, twist my arm. You know. And I actually have a, a mail-in story about uh, tax scan as well. Mm-hmm. What happened was um, I was playing the 2600 version of Buck Rogers. I had already owned tax scan. I was playing the 2600 Buck Rogers, and in the 10th screen, it says, instead of level 10, it says level BC, which or 8C, which, come to find out, was a programming bug in the game. And so I oh, wrote nice. to Sega about uh, about it, and they're like, is this a secret message or hidden initials? And they're like, no, we're not certain about that, but it's interesting, but it's nice to know that you're involved with the game, and here, have a poster. And uh, they included a poster of TagScan. So that was kind of nice. Cool. I wish I still had that. That was awesome. It's like the guy who first d- discovered the Warren Robinette Easter yep. egg. He's like, is this, what, what is, uh, yeah, you found a secret room. And then yes. of course, later on in, uh, <laughs> later on in the Atari 2600, uh, scorebooks that, uh, they had come with, uh, with the games, they, yep. uh, they had finding the hidden room as an achievement. So <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, that Atari anyway, was pissed when they found out about that. <laughs> Yeah, tax scan. Tax so scan. yeah, but let, let's talk about tax. Let's scan talk some more. Uh, uh, so uh, should should I uh, uh, mention some uh, high scores? Why don't you do that? Okay, because um, you didn't ask, so I will do that now. I don't. Uh, since I already brought up Orcade.com, a u r c a d e dot com. Those of you who might be looking for it, uh, John Grigsby has their high score with uh, two hundred sixty nine thousand three hundred. Performed July twenty seventh, two thousand nineteen, 
at High Scores Interactive Arcade Museum. Uh, that was during XY Vector Challenge 2019. Where is that joint? Isn't that hmm. the new name for Fun Spot? I don't think it is. Let me see. When did he set these, the score uh, again? This was 2019. This was just. This was not not even a year ago. High Scores Interactive. You know what? There's an arcade chain called Fun, or not arcade, a, a theme park chain called Fun Spot. They were rumored to have been buying out uh, Indiana Beach, but that didn't happen. Someone else oh. bought out Indiana Beach, thank God. But um, two things that don't belong together: Indiana and Beach. I don't know. Had there's a lot of nice it. beaches along the dunes. Oh, here we go. Um, high scores, interaction. Let's see. Oh, they're closed right now for uh, obvious reason. Um, let me see. Yeah, what is our story? Let's see what their story is. Uh, so, oh, that's in New Jersey. It's area code 609, oh. so that'd be like South okay. Jersey. Oh, Burlington, New Jersey. Yeah, that's definitely South Jersey. Oh wait! Oh, they opened in they opened in 2010 in Burlington, New Jersey. In 2013, they relocated to Alameda, California, and then they opened another location in Hayward, California. But their website still has a 609 number on it. That's kind of weird. Is Richie Knuckles but, involved with that? Because that almost sounds like what happened with Richie Knuckles. No, he's in, he's still in Jersey. Is he? Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. He opened. Um, when he first reopened after his Flemington location shut down, uh, he got in trouble for that because he didn't open legally or something. Um, mm-hmm. I, they So they shut him down. I think he re-reopened in Denville, New Jersey. Okay. I might be wrong, though. I haven't really been following that. But, but yeah, th- I, if, if there's any Richie Knuckles involvement, it's uh, not known to me, at least. But uh, it looks like an interesting place. Oh, too bad I'm not going to be in that part of California. Oh, well. Oh, well. Uh, well, at least not not this year, but next year, hopefully. Uh, going to San Diego in a, uh, a little over a month. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, the other uh, high score, uh, there is a Twin Galaxies high, oh, high score submitted November 3rd, 1983 by Chris Rolleston, I think it's pronounced R-O-L-L-E-S-T-O-N. 100 million 524,200. That's a pretty damn high score. 100 million. Wow. Yeah. And if you look at the Twin Galaxies leaderboard, there are a lot of like obscenely high scores like that, like 78 million and, and things, like, things like that. It's insane. It's interesting how the arcade score is nowhere near that high. But keep in mind, this was set in November of 83, and I think the other ridiculously high scores were too. So uh, I'm assuming that this, well, though High Scores Interactive has only been around for 10 years. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, that is crazy high, crazy high. I mean, I don't know how accurate that is. I'm just reporting what's reported. Sure, sure. Cool. All right. And I know that a lot of really old Twin Galaxies scores were basically copied on, out of uh, magazine articles and things. And <laughs> like I think I mentioned before in, the, in that stack of joysticks that uh, Jeff Prescott sent me in mm-hmm. Joystick Magazine, somebody had inserted a page torn out of a Playboy article that, list, that was talking about video games. And in an inset that listed high scores... There was somebody claiming over six million on Pac-Man. I remember that story. Yeah, that's yeah. not possible. Yeah. So it's there's probably a lot of scores like that somewhere around the Twin Galaxies database that hasn't just been cleaned up yet. I 
I would not be the least bit surprised though if this uh, hundred million were true though. So uh, yeah, I, I kind of so, like yeah. this game. It's it, it doesn't. I guess it doesn't really grab you. The cabinet is the, the typical like wood panel that Sega was using for all their games at the time, like Zaxxon and Star Trek and all the no side art, nothing. It was just a plain mm. Jane cabinet, and and I can see why people didn't uh, didn't want to play it, but. Um, yeah, I, I kind of like it. It's uh, it's it's a pretty yeah, good I, game. I like it too. And I like it too. Uh, if someone were to ask you, on a scale of one to five, continues, what would your rating be? I rate this game a four. I think I would too. Yeah, I don't think it has the addictive action, I guess, or the uh, aesthetic, I guess, to that would bring it up to a five. But it's a solid enough game to uh, to be in the upper echelon of games. So yeah, I think a four is quite uh, quite apropos, as it were, for this. Well, what does it for me? What makes me go higher than a three is what we were talking about earlier, how it changes from that 2D orientation to that almost yes. 3D orientation. That is so cool. And you I was know like, what? oh, this is nice. And it occurred to me when I was playing this the other night. It occurred to you. It occurred to me when I was playing this the other night. You know what that reminds me of? Blaster. It's got a blaster feel in that second stage, in the second and third stages. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I could dig that. I could dig that. And um, and uh, blaster is a fun game, and uh, I think this game does it, it well is. with the uh, with the vector graphics. I would love to have seen a full full on vector version of blaster. I think that would have been kind of neat. The Atari eight bit version of that game is is really pretty much vector, but uh, but yeah. yeah. So um, it has kind of the blaster feel to it. And, um, yeah, yeah, just a a fun, solid all around game. The, the only real problem with the game and it's not the fault of the game is that it's kind of hard to emulate because of the control setup. I didn't have a single problem emulating it to be quite honest with you. You can't emulate something with a dial very accurately in MAME, especially if you don't. Tell you what, I was doing it. I was doing a hell of a lot better in MAME than I was on an actual cabinet. Really? Yeah, yeah, that really does not surprise me, actually. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's just—I don't know. I would like to get just like a USB dial controller for it. I mean, I—you know—I did not try it with my Coleco Super Action controller. It probably would have been okay, but oh, excuse me. But I did play, set it up with my mouse, and uh, I guess it's respectable enough. But yeah, I—I want to play this in the arcade again just so I can use the dial. Yeah, by the way, hit us up if uh, anybody knows of uh, a source of a reasonably priced uh, USB like dial yeah. or spinner or something. I have a trackball that actually had where the uh, ring around the ball actually acts as a scroll wheel, but MAME doesn't yeah. detect it. Oh, that's weird. MAME does not detect it. Yeah. You know what? I wonder if you could do this using the, the scroll wheel on the mouse and like maybe hold the mouse sideways. How awkward would that be? That would that would be really awkward, probably. But yeah, it might be. I don't know. But, hey, it's a thought. It's a thought. Not a very sure. good one, but it's still a thought. So. A thought is a thought. All right, so uh, shall we move on? We've we said everything we need to oh, say about text. We we. I I do believe we shall. Okay. And so while uh, you introduce ah, Space Fury, I'm going to avail myself of a refreshing beverage, and I don't think there's a mute oh, on my headset, so. <laughs> All right, one moment. So, ah, Space Fury, as uh, Jimmy G just said. Uh, Space Fury was developed by Service Games, better known to uh, us plebs as Sega. 
and in the United States at least, it was actually published by Gremlin. No huge honking surprise there. And it was released on June 17th, 1981, which is 39 years and one week before we are recording this episode. So yay. Hey, you could do some math, figure out when we did this little recording session. The claim to fame of Space Fury is that it is the first color vector video game and it uses the Color Beam video display system. I think the monitor is made by Electrohome. The control panel consists of yellow rotate buttons on the left, one for rotating left, the other for rotating right. And on the right, there are two buttons. There is an orange thrust button and a red fire button um, on the left and right, respectively. And as for the gameplay, all right, thinking back to, um, I think it was episode 16 when we were talking about Mr. Do and how I said that if you'd never seen Mr. Do before, but you approached it as if it were Dig Dug, you'd kind of figure out how to play the game. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to say something similar about Space Fury. Approach it as if it were Asteroids. And that actually will make, will make you play it better than approaching Mr. Do as if you're playing Dig Dug. It's very asteroidsy at the very beginning of the game, though, you have this graphic of this vector graphic of a cycloptic alien who it, it's an animation and he heckles you. So a creature for my amusement. Prepare for battle. I got to tell you, before I go any further, that guy annoyed <laughs> the living snot out of me. I, I, mm, because it, it, it's worse than the taunting and gorf. <laughs> oh my God. I just wanted to beat the crap out of that cabinet. I really did. Mainly Ugh. because you can actually understand what he's saying in space fury. That's, and that's something else I got to talk about because the, the voice synthesis is a freaking amazing on that. It is so clear. Oh heck yeah. It is, it is so clear. By the way, if you've only played this in, in MAME. That does not do it justice. Trust me, if you play this on an actual arcade cab, it sounds fantastic. I think older versions of MAME sound better with the, the voice synthesis, but it is phenomenal. It's phenomenal on, on, the, uh, on Space Fury in the arcade. But like I said, it plays kind of like Asteroids. Uh, what happens is you have a ship in the middle of the screen, just like in Asteroids, and there are pieces of alien spacecraft floating around your ship. And they're veering towards each other. You want to blast them out of the way. There are four pieces for every alien ship. And when a complete alien ship forms, it can start shooting fireballs at you. Otherwise, if two pieces come together or three pieces come together, they will try to ram into your ship. They won't shoot fireballs, but they'll try to ram you. Interestingly, though, when the pieces are all individual, they're not mm -hmm. fused to anything, you can pass right over them very safely. You won't uh, lose a life. So I, f I found that to be kind of interesting. But um, after you clear around, I think uh, there's a... All right, now, I don't know... Um, let me, actually, let me start my thought over. I have five thoughts going on at the same time. I'm trying to talk all five of them. But there is a countdown timer, a bonus timer, really. It ticks off. It starts at 5,000 mm -hmm. points, and it ticks off 100 points every second. Now, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I've had three weeks to prepare, but I haven't figured this out. I don't know if you lose a life if the bonus timer runs out. Do I you know, Jimmy G? You. I don't know if you simply just miss out on the points or whatever, because I never got that far. Either I cleared the whole thing or I died too early. So I, I don't know. But the cool thing is that after each round, 
you are given a little upgrade screen where you have three different upgrades that you can select by docking into one of them. You rotate your ship and then you thrust into the, oh goodness. Good night, everybody. And you thrust onto one of the upgrades. There, that's better. On the left, you got a dark blue upgrade and that gives your ship triple firepower. You shoot three bullets at a time, side by side. And in the middle of the upgrades you can fly into, there is a green one in which uh, your ship gets the ability to fire front, left, and right all at the same time. There's a cyan upgrade on the right, and that one gives you one shot in the front when you fire and two in yes, the rear. two shots in the rear. Yep, yep. And uh, you only have um, a few seconds to dock, and if you don't dock then you don't get the upgrade and you're stuck with one shot at a time. And you can only have one upgrade active at a time. Once you choose one upgrade, it disappears for the rest of the level. And as for the scoring, uh, for every individual enemy spacecraft that you shoot, you get 10 points. For a complete enemy spacecraft, all four together, you get 20 points for shooting that. 30 points for shooting a fireball, which by the way is very difficult, at least for me. Because the fireballs are kind of small, and you have to have precise aim to shoot those things. Uh, you have, I, th- I believe you get 40, 40 points? Actually, hold on. You get 40 points for shooting a partially complete enemy spacecraft. For level 2, the points double. For level 3, those points triple. And for level 4 and higher, the points quadruple. Ah. And I talked about the bonus countdown. Now, here's something that I was not able to figure out. I, I just about tore out my thin hair looking for this. But below the player's score, you have a reserve life indicator. It shows you uh, how many lives you have in reserve. Like it shows you drawings of ships and however many ships are there, that's how many you have in reserve. Pretty standard. But between your score and the reserve life indicator, there's a number that doesn't seem to correspond to anything. When you start the game, it says 30. And then when you like finish the first round, it'll say like one, two, three, four, or five. And I, and it changes and I don't know what that is. It's not on any of the sources I could find. It's the, the, uh, operator manual doesn't tell you anything about the game itself. It just tells you how to fix it, how to, uh, plug it in and everything. So I, at strategy wiki didn't have anything, but nothing I could not find in the Coleco vision. I'm jumping ahead. There's a Coleco vision version of, uh, space fury that doesn't even have that number. So I, I don't know what that is. My guess is that it was supposed to be some other figure that was never fully programmed and the number that appears there just is just garbage that, that just leaked out. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. If anybody knows, piefactory at fab4it.com or hit us up on Facebook or the Twits. So, yeah. Now, Jimmy G, what was that thing you were telling me about tax scan earlier that, uh, that got a reputation Monitors for? catching fire. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, the advertising flyer for Space Fury boasts, and I quote, the first modular card cage and power supply units. These sturdy metal compartments prevent radiation and protect electronic circuitry for longer lasting, more reliable games. 
Guess what, Jimmy G? Hmm. It still sets on fire. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a secondary and, theme. <laughs> yeah, and uh, a common fix for that was to attach a cooling fan and just remove the back panel from the cabinet. But I got to read you a few things. Uh, there were some memos that circulated to Aladdin's castle managers back in October of 81. Oh, no. Like this one from October 5th, 1981. To all managers from technical service department, re gremlin space fury modification slash recall. And the body of the message says, most of you are aware of the design problems in Gremlin's Space Fury, which results in the destruction of the monitor. Gremlin, in conjunction with Electro Home, has come up with a set of modifications to eliminate this problem. Uh, the first stage consists of replacing the XY monitor complete with CRT. So it says basically swap it mm. out. Uh, all Space Furies with the old type monitor are going to be modified even if they are presently working. Those of you who've already sent your chassis in for repair will be receiving a complete monitor via UPS. Uh, use the box that is shipped into it. Okay. The remaining locations must contact us so we can... Okay, that's all whatever here. The second phase consists of minor changes to the logic boards. You'll find instructions for this enclosed. And uh, yeah, there aren't, there's like a schematic here. Uh, finally, those locations that are just now receiving their space furies should check the monitor to determine if it has been modified at the factory. The new monitors have three additional PC boards, blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's one of the memos. Now, here's one that came out on October 16th. Mm -hmm. um, same to from and re here. We have been informed that there is a problem with the new monitor modification. Oh, God. R635 and R735 have been changed from 1.5 ohm 10 watts to 3 ohm 10 watts. The way they did this was to add a resistor in series with the original. Unfortunately, Gremlin has used the same approach we have come to know and expect from them. <laughs> Instead of piggybacking resistors, they mounted them in an inverted V configuration. Because of this, one lead of the resistor can easily break, especially during the rough handling received during shipment. If you receive a replacement monitor, please check these resistors for broken leads before powering up the game. We would like to extend our thanks to Walter Butch Spivey, for telling us about the problem. Thank you, Jim Welter, technical service manager. And yeah, there's a little drawing of those two resistors with a little pointy thing saying check for breaks. So yeah, even the repair things, even the repaired monitors came back possibly broken. So yeah, this is fun. And uh, the, the third the third memo I'm not going to bother read. It's just a shipping thing. That's it. So, so yeah, it, obviously Aladdin's castle was not really happy with the gremlin. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and this is, and you also mentioned that tax scan came in a kind of blah cabinet. Mm -hmm. uh, Space Fury has that same reputation. It's a very boring cabinet, just wooden, uh, no side art. And not only that, but the marquee looks kind of, huh? Because it looks like it was drawn by a sixth grader or something. It's just very amateurish. I mean, I apologize if whoever designed that is listening, but that's what it looks like. I mean, you know, I'm, sometimes the truth hurts, but, uh, Oh yeah. I see what you're talking about. Yep. And I think that the reason that it's so boring is I do not believe that Sega actually manufactured any space fury cabinets. They're all from Sega's convert a game system. So a space fury cabinet is always a conversion. So that might be why that might be why. I mean, do you know if that's the same for tax scan? 
That I don't know. I never came across information on that. Because, yeah, I'm pretty sure if it's a Space Fury cabinet, it was a conversion from something else. And uh, how about, um, Jimmy G, uh, before I go on any further, how about you? Can you uh, tell me your recollections of Space Fury? I think I've only ever played it in the arcade at Galloping Ghost, but I don't recall ever playing it anywhere else. I'm pretty sure Galloping Ghost has it. I could have sworn I've played it there. I have. I don't think they have it. I thought they did. Maybe they do. I don't know. Let's see. Not. Yep, they have it. So, okay, oh, okay. So I did right. play Never. it there. Um, yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, if anybody has experience with this game, their very first experience will be with the ColecoVision version. And um, yeah, th- I want to like this game, but I really can't. And I guess the thing that really, really? takes me off is the uh, upgrades to your weapon, because you only get them for one level, and then after the third one, I don't, I've not seen seen it where you can actually get the upgrades again. So once you've blown through the third third or fourth level, that's it. Your upgrades are gone. You can't use them ever again. I never got that far to tell. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I saw that in the uh, ColecoVision version first, ColecoVision port first, and uh, I saw it on here, and I'm just... I don't, that really ticks me off uh, about this game. And uh, if it wasn't for the upgrades, it would be just another Asteroids clone to me. But the, sure. the upgrades kind of teases you into something that just isn't there. It's almost like you're playing a vector version of Blasteroids, really. A weak version of Space Duel. And speaking of which, that first round, the uh, the enemy ships, they look very Space Duel. Mm-hmm. So I got I to gotta wonder if Atari might have uh, nicked that from... Uh, if one of the companies nicked it from the Sega. other. Yeah. Well, considering that Space Fury is the first color vector game, it would have been Atari nicking it from... Uh, Really? From Sega. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I'm, I, I, I can't say I'm a fan of this. The voice is great. I do love the, oh, the, yeah. uh, I do love the, uh, the, the color vector in it, but it just doesn't seem like their heart was into this game to me. I can kind of see what you're saying, especially because I, I thought, um, when I was doing the research and found that the only official home port of this was really uh, the ColecoVision I found myself wondering if maybe somebody did a homebrew version for the Vectrex. And sure enough, there's a Vectrex homebrew called Space Frenzy. Oh. Which is a homebrew of Space Fury. And I was playing the Vectrex Space Frenzy, and I was like, God, this is boring. (laughs) It's pretty much the same as Space Fury, but, well, for one thing, I didn't have an overlay. Mm-hmm. So it's just monochrome graphics. And sure. Maybe if I had an overlay, it would have been because I when I when I think back about Space Fury and what I liked about it, it was the colorfulness. Sure. If you don't have color graphics, it's just not the same. The other thing I didn't like about Space Frenzy is that unlike with the arcade version on Space Frenzy, the individual uh, alien ship pieces will destroy your ship. Hmm. So that, that I didn't like that that didn't translate over. Oh, one other thing, a couple of other things about the ColecoVision port, there's no voice. So you see the, oh, yeah, the image yeah. of the alien in full raster glory moving its lips, and you have to read, and the text scrolls across the bottom of the screen. Yeah. Yeah. Space Frenzy has speech, but you need um, the uh, the VEC voice cart, and possibly the Atari, uh, the Atari Vox might work with it, uh-huh. but, it's mo- but it's very monotonous. It's like very robotic. 
while the arcade speech th- synthesis, it, it's very inflective. It's not robotic. <laughs> and one other thing about the ColecoVision port, there was actually a sequel to the ColecoVision port called Ms. Space Fury, which oh, yeah. um, is it's all it really is, is like a, a clone of Minor, minor 2049er with uh, huh. a space, the Space Fury alien with a bow in its hair. Oh, God. It... <sighs> A lot of people like it. I don't. I'm not a. I'm one of the few people that don't like minor 2049er and platform games of that ilk. So I just really could not get into that one. But if you like it, hey, knock yourself out. I do think it is better than Space Fury, but that's not really saying much. Oh, there's also a homebrew version made for. Uh, oh man, I forgot who did, who did it. Uh, I can uh, find this out for sure. But there is a Space Frenzy for PCs and Macs. I played around with the Mac version last night, and it is a really well done clone. But it's the thing is, there's only so much you can do with Space Fury. Mm-hmm. That's that's all I can say. I mean, it has it has all the voices and everything, except it's all modern. But uh, the graphics are true to the original. That's uh, all I can say about that. But yeah, I mean, yeah. The more I think about, yeah, you know, I'm dropping my rating before I even say mm-hmm. it. So, yeah, and by the way, the first place I played Space Fury was Underground Retrocade on the same machine that I mentioned before, the uh, the uh, Star Trek uh, Strategic Operations Simulator, mm-hmm. uh, Simulation Simulator Simula- Simulac game. And what's interesting about that is that I didn't even know about this. I didn't know that Space Fury was supposed to use left and right buttons. I hadn't really? done all that research yet because it uses, uh, on that machine, it uses the spinner. Mm-hmm. So that made it even more like Blasteroids. So yeah, I was playing. I was playing uh, Space Fury with a spinner, and having various successes and failures with it, simply because I suck at the game. (laughs) So yeah. Um, But anyway, uh, there are some high scores on file. Uh, Like for example, at Twin Galaxies, uh, that it shows that Richie Knuckles has the high score of two hundred and forty-one thousand seven hundred and sixty as submitted August fourteenth, two thousand eleven, and that was in marathon settings. And Orcade.com confirms that for marathon settings, same score, same person, same date. For tournament settings, uh, John McAllister with a score of 155,070 uh, submitted on June 3rd, 2012. And that's according to orcade.com. There you go. As for me, I think I got maybe 60,000, I think. Yeah, I, you know, and me, then I don't crash track and scores. Yeah. Because I don't want to embarrass myself. Uh, but, but that is um, Space Fury, which I'm going to rate two. Continues out of five. What wow. about you, Jimmy? Jim? I'm going to do the same, actually. And this has been the first time in a while where we've rated... Uh, well, so, well, okay, it was episode 108 was the last time we rated games. Uh, we gave the game the same rating. Both games, the same ratings. Well, a two and a two and a four and a four. I know what I'm trying to say. So, um, yeah, I. it just comes off as a cheap Asteroids knockoff. That's it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing really. If they would allow you to keep the uh, keep the um, sausages, keep the power ups, there would be a, it'd be a lot better game, I think. But yeah, it just it just looks like they just developed these monitors and just decided to throw whatever they could at them just to show off the color. 
don't know. There's no inspiration here. No. Nope. Not at all. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's Space Fury. Um, should we uh, talk about the theme or should we uh, uh, catch up with Eugenio first? Let us catch up with Eugenio first. Oh, okay. All right. Let me uh, start this one off since he sure. talks about my game first. Uh, he says, uh, and I quote, greetings, Sean and Jim. Well, greetings, Eugenio. Uh, he says, I hope you guys are doing well and have adapted to our new normal. Yeah, you know, wearing face masks, social distancing, washing hands, etc. Well, I've always washed my hands, bub. Because I believe in not being gross. <laughs> yeah, there I are certain things I do. I being gross. Yeah, there's there has never been a time when I didn't regularly wash my hands. Something else, and I, I know I've said this on this podcast before because it's very relevant to what we talk about. But I'm going to say it again. I say, bathe, take a shower, whatever, at least once a day or as many times as necessary, whichever is more frequent. So yeah, I I don't I'm not gross. And I've been dutifully wearing a face mask whenever I'm outside and can't avoid being six feet away from people. Yeah, absolutely. If I'm inside in a business, I put the damn mask on. So, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Same here. Uh, but before any... Oh, oh, here we go. We're going to need uh, uh, Hyde to drop in the little uh, uh, love theme here. Uh, before anything else, I'd like to make note of an erratum on the prior episode. So, uh, uh, Hyde, you could drop it in right here. Thank you, Mr. St. Pierre. Monsieur St. Pierre, I guess. Uh, Jim said that playing Warcraft was his fort. Oh, he said forte. And Sean said that that word meant loud. Sean, I'm sorry to tell you that was an erratum. The meaning of forte is a thing at which someone excels. Unless you're into fencing. In that case, it means the stronger part of a sword blade from the hilt to the middle. All right. I'm going to stop right here because I, I'm going to firmly disagree with that. Forte indeed does mean loud. It is an Italian term that means loud, which is the opposite of piano, which means soft. So yeah. And the thing is the real word F O R T E is pronounced fort. It is not supposed to be pronounced forte. Somebody stuck that accent in there somewhere and it caught on. Fort, which means strength. Forte means loud. You're pianissoing me off. Well, hey, you say Galaga, I say fort. And that's how it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I did that little Muppet single nod of emphasis. Uh, anyway, let's get back to Eugenio yes, yes. and his uh, nice little note here. Uh, on another note, I'm getting ready to partially open my office. Awesome. Which is a bit scary given how high the numbers are in Miami. Unfortunately, not everyone is following the rules and Miami is only having a continued rise in numbers. We're currently over 26,000 cases. Ugh. Unfortunately, this is true of other parts of the nation. We'll only see new patients. We would see significantly fewer of them in a day and continue doing follow-ups via telehealth. And we are taking measure to stay safe. Yeah, please do. Please stay safe. I have to brag a little bit here about Illinois. Uh, We've had the largest decline in cases of any state in the nation. So, Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's why we're entering phase four by the time people hear this. Mm -hmm. I just hope it doesn't have to backtrack at all i you know what i'm sure it probably will have to backtrack a little bit Yeah, seriously people protect everybody put something over your nose and your mouth if you can't for medical reasons talk to your doctor okay please 
Just because, oh, it's inconvenient. Shut up. You don't want to poison everybody. And if you are using the Americans with Disabilities Act just because you're a real douche and you demand access to a store without wearing a mask, the law does not say they have to let you in, only that they have to give you reasonable accommodation. That means they can shop for you. So take, you know what? I would take advantage of that. Hell yeah, I don't like shopping. Yeah, and by the way, this these are two people with totally different political opinions, and we're not going to discuss that at all. Mm-hmm. So this is not a damn political thing. This is just freaking science. It's health. It, it's more than that. It's people. being a good neighbor. That too. That too. I have a friend who actually just got over COVID-19. He's Ooh. gotten the all clear and everything. He still wears a mask out in public just to keep mm-hmm. people at ease. Actually, I have a distant relative that died from it. Oh. Someone who... Uh, who isn't really directly related to me, but they're somewhere on the family tree, someone I never even heard of. But uh, it's like my aunt's, what is it? It's my aunt's, or was it an uncle? I don't remember what it is, but it's somebody who's related, not by blood, but by marriage, off on a far branch of the tree. That does have the last, my last name, but somebody I've never heard of or met before. So, yeah, so I've had somebody in my family die from it, like I said. Not yeah. a close relative at all, but, you know. Yeah, and a friend of a friend, by the way, never met the guy. He was, I think, what, 52 years old? He's gone, and he had no other health mm-hmm. problems. So, yeah, don't just say, well, I'm healthy. Well, doesn't matter. doesn't matter. It, it, I don't care. We shouldn't be caring about ourselves. We should be ca- caring yeah. about everybody else. That's the important thing. But anyway, sorry to – I will stop preaching um, I'm just going to add one last thing. Like you say on your other podcast, the good goes around. I, I believe that's what you say. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll tell the story about why I say that all the time. Some other time, by the way. Nice. Uh, Cause there, there's a re there, there's a reason I say that. Uh, and if you're not listening to autobiography of a schnook, you're missing out. Schnookpodcast.com. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm so, I, Eugenio. I am so sorry. Uh, I will get back to you right now. Uh, Eugenio's comment on Space Fury. He says, this game I have seen the arcade machine for and even played, but only at retro events. I don't recall ever seeing it at my local arcade in Puerto Rico or at the arcade while in college. This game is cool for a couple of reasons. First, it's a vector game. And for me, most vector games are cool because they look nice mm-hmm. even decades later. I'm, I'm going to interject here. I, mean, I always, every, anytime somebody mentions vector games to me, I tr- it turns me off immediately. Yet when I actually play them, I love them. I, I don't know what that is. Well, that's kind of like I with me and Chinese food. I'm never in the chi- mood for Chinese. Don't really think about it much. But if I'm in the parking lot of a Chinese restaurant, I'm like, yeah, I could go for that. Uh, anyway, uh, he says, the other, the other thing that is cool is that alien commander who shows up and talks. The phrases vary, but it's cool how the game even has the commander call for someone to dare challenge my imperial fleet. Yeah, because he has a different uh, he has a different message uh, during the attract mode, kind of like uh, with Gorf. And uh, did Berserk have a separate attract mode message? Was that the coin detected yes. in pocket? Or coin was detective Gorf? in po- pocket was Berserk. Okay. Yes. Uh, Eugenio says, of course, your evaluation at the end is also cool. Oh yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, uh, at the end of the game the uh, alien commander will say something about your performance. Like he'll either mock you or he'll say, uh, our battle is completed warrior. You were an outstanding opponent. As for the game itself, Eugenio says, I find it fun. Docking your ship is nifty and reminds me of Mooncrest. Oh, good call. 
though here you don't get to use all the different docking sections at the same time. You essentially have to choose what sort of shooting ability you want. As far as I know, the only official port of this game was for the ColecoVision. I have not tried it, but I will be doing so soon. I recently got a ColecoVision emulator, and hopefully the Phoenix will be on its way in the near future. Hip, here, here. I've seen videos of it, and I saw they changed everything to raster graphics, but these look good. The other version I'm familiar with is the unofficial port for the Vectrex called Space Frenzy. Uh, yeah, I, I I didn't read Eugenio's email until after I found it. Uh, the, the This game was programmed by John Donzilla, and it uses the VecVox, oh, or Atari Vox Plus and VecVox mode. Huh? Thanks, there you Eugenio, go. For speech. I still haven't used my Atari Vox on the Vectrex yet. On the Vectrex, the graphics are, of course, vector graphics, so this port looks much closer to the arcade. The speech also makes it closer to the arcade experience, although the commander sounds more robotic than on the arcade, like I was saying earlier. Huh? I'm sure this is due to the limitations of the hardware, but it is still cool to be able to have speech synthesis. Space Frenzy has some differences when compared to the arcade, but it is still a pretty faithful conversion. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, because it's a pretty faithful conversion, that's why I wasn't a big fan of it, I think. <laughs> All right, uh, Eugenio, thank you for your commentary on the Space Warrior. Um, let's see, he's also talking about uh, TAC slash scan. I will go with this so, one. Yeah, why don't you go yeah. with this one? TAC scan. My experience with this game is limited to the Atari 2600 version, as I've never seen this vector arcade game at a retro show, nor did at a retro show. Now, retro right here at our retro show. Uh, nor did I ever see it at my local arcade. Okay, that was, that was I hate to say it, that was pretty good. Really? Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I do the George Carlin. Uh, Ed oh, Sullivan. the John Biner? The John Biner, yes. And now you know, raw hair on know. our show. Um, I've seen video, so the, arcade, um, so the arcade game, and it looks rather nice with its 3D scaling vectors. I think the notion of controlling a squadron of ships to attack your enemy waves is something I believe is unique to this game. I don't recall seeing another shooter that has this play mechanic. Sega's port to the 2600 is a valiant effort. They did the same thing Atari did for Battlezone and did not even try to emulate the vector graphics, which is fine. The game does capture some of the arcade elements, but it falls short, particularly at higher levels. I'm not sure why they did not try to port the game to a more capable systems of the time. Well, we did cover that a little bit. As far as I know, no one has attempted to port or clone of tech scan for the Vectrex. That is unfortunate because the game would work well for the system. Now, i got to look into that to see if maybe somebody has attempted it. Uh, now, well, the thing is, there is a demo uh -huh. that somebody did that uh, resembles the 3D part of uh, TaxScan, but it's just a graphic demo. It's not oh, really okay. a playable game or anything. Uh, that is unfortunate because the game would look, work well for the system. Now, there are unlockable versions of the game for the PS2 and the PSP on the Sega Genesis collection. Those are arcade accurate and the only way, other way to play the game uh, at home on a console. That's it for today. Stay safe from Corona. Going to the Final Frontier Gaming. Eugenio. On PS, I'm going to give a shameless plug to Old School Gamer Magazine. Issue number 17 has an article I wrote on the different versions of Donkey Kong for the Atari 2600 and the Intellivision. Be sure to check it out. Shameless plug noted. So Yeah, I... Yeah, we'll put a link to. They uh, have the uh, all the issues available digitally, so we'll link that in the show notes. Uh, that is. Yes. I, I subscribe, so I get the print copy. I'll have to check it out. Oh, really? I, I don't subscribe. I'm probably going to change my subscribing and non-subscribing to magazines and stuff and Patreons and all that. Now that I actually have a job, 
So, um, yeah. So, and that, with that, let's uh, reveal the theme. Oh, please do. Instead of actually having a secondary theme, I just amended the uh, amended the original theme. Uh, <clears throat> color Sega vector games that catch fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love oh, it. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that, uh, that five-game uh, board that uh, they have at the RetroCade, I'm pretty sure that's safe. I would... I would hope so. I don't. I <laughs> yeah. I don't think that they would uh, invest in something no. that uh, would catch no. Fire. <laughs> I wonder if. Oh man, next time next time I'm at the Ghost, I'll have to check out Doc's Space Fury mm-hmm. to see if there if it has like the back panel intact, uh-huh. or to see if it's even up and running. I mean, I don't know. We could, or see if oh, there's oh, a man. fire extinguisher next to it. Yeah, Dude, <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, but. Uh, in one of Doc's uh, work in progress videos that he yeah. did before before they reopened, he was talking about how at least this was a about two weeks ago I think he said of all the seven hundred and some games that were out on the floor there was only one not working. Really? So man, yeah, they were like wow. Busting yeah, they butts. yeah they 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 made great use of their time. Yeah, which is awesome. So kudos to uh, the folks at the Ghost. Oh, and, and I uh, wanted to bring this up. I didn't, but. It's been several episodes since I saw this, but one of the local uh, uh, guys in the Chicago area that go like on these arcade raids or whatever, and they have machines come their way. One of them actually got a hold of a working iRobot. Really? And I don't know what happened to it. I I, I think I know who uh, <laughs> I think I know who took care who I think I remember who uh, posted it on Facebook, but uh, I don't know what happened to that. And I'm like, oh, if I had the freaking money, that machine would be mine. I'm mm. so hoping that Doc or, or Scott or or Jeremy just Fox somebody or somebody with an arcade, in an arcade that's in driving distance. It. And the first arcade in the Chicago area that gets an iRobot machine, I'm buying a lifetime membership. <laughs> and I'm serious Seriously? about that. I will I will sell my children. <laughs> that's how serious I well, am. Well, considering two of your children are legally adults now, right? Can you even do that? Well, they still live under live under my roof, so yeah. Oh, okay, there you go. Hmm. Um, but yeah, you know how much it costs to be a lifetime member of, uh, the ghost. Okay. I'll buy a season pass. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think, I think, uh, James White is a lifetime. There are a few lifetime members. I don't know if it, did any of the other arcades have lifetime memberships. I don't know. Huh. But anyway, but I'll make sure um, I'll be generous to the arcade that gets an iRobot machine. Yeah. Yeah, and seriously, people, you have if you have a arcade in your area, please be generous with that arcade. Oh, definitely, be, especially in this day and age. Yeah. Oh yeah, be generous, yeah, but yes. be safe. Ex- yeah, yeah, be safe. So you might not want to play an original Space Fury or an original Tax game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing Unless to do with it's the been corona. modified for safety, of course. <laughs> but uh, anyway, hey, it's time to thank a bunch of people Let who us have do really that. helped us out uh, over the past five years by donating to us on Patreon.com, and uh, including uh, Air Shack, Art Guglielmo, thank you guys, Atari Bytes. Uh, oh, there's a new episode that just came out in, the, in their Patreon. I can't wait to hear it. It's uh, Beauty and the Beast. Oh. Uh, on, on the Intellivision, actually. It's, it's Intellivision Month over at Atari Bytes. Uh, Kristen Williams, thank you. D. Alex. Ooh, I might finally be meeting him face-to-face soon. Yeah? Because he's planning to go to Pixel Blast. Uh, hope, hope to see him there. Uh, Franco Dragon, thank you. Keith Sheehan, thank you. Uh, Kurt Musgrave, thank you. Kyle Etter, Lance Endries, Mark Super. Uh, Mike Hat NJ. Nate Lockhart, uh, New Balance Stores Phoenix, thank you. PJ Steele and Richard Grounds, thank you. And Richard Valdez, thank you so much. Rory Coleman, oh, thank you. 
Steve Steiner and uh, Greg at the SNES podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, fellow uh, hometown person, Tim Foley. And of course, Timmy, Timmy, all right. I I don't, I hate to single any person out because I'm not trying to like say anybody's necessarily better than anybody else, but something about Timmy, every time we put out an episode of a podcast, he's just the, he just has the nicest things to say. Oh, definitely. It's, he's, he's always like, Oh, thank you so much. I, I was really, really glad to see a new episode. That's, it's just so cool to see that. And of course, thank you to underground retrocade for sponsoring us as well. So it's all of you. Thank you so much. You know, and, speaking uh, about underground retrocade real quick for just a uh, moment here, it occurs to me that my new job is about a quarter to a third of the way up to uh, underground retrocade on the way I normally go up there, up uh, State Route 47. Well, you could go there on your lunch break. I could go there on my lunch break. It's only an additional 40 to 50 miles. Yeah. Yeah. I could make it back in time for, uh, you know, to work the afternoon of the next day. Yeah. Yeah. But oh. uh, that thought had crossed my mind about making that trip up there. So. Oh, seriously, you probably get there fast. The thing is, like, I I'm probably closer, but you'll probably get there faster because I have to. Something that I you know got all the red lights too. I have so many red lights because the thing is, like, I have to get on ninety. But where ninety is, I have to go to a, like almost to freaking O'Hare to get there. Yeah. And yeah, I have I'm, to zigzag through the city grid to get there. But then once I get get on ninety, it's like vroom, and I'm there five minutes later. It's literally vroom. I've heard yeah, your car. But, and, it goes, anyway. literally goes vroom. Yeah, yeah, we have a voice synthesizer in the Jeep, and it actually says "vroom." Man. But it's so, kind of yeah. it sounds kind of sullen. It goes "vroom," something like that. You yeah, know? yeah, but it's but "vroom" is "vroom." You know, that's true. So I think but we should hey. probably tell people. Oh, we should. Yeah, let's what tell games people. are for the next episode? Yeah, what, can I tell them? Can I tell them? I'm excited about this. Sure, we're going to be talking about 720 degrees and Congo Bongo. Yay. Sean already told me the theme on this one, and it's a good theme. It is a it is a brilliant theme. I'm not going to say anything more. Sean's already no, told me not. the theme. He came. I up can with imagine it. there are some people listening who can probably piece together what the theme is. I would not be surprised. I, if anybody I, has you any guesses? What? I please do share have with to. Us. I do have to say, it, it actually is kind of clever. So damn right, it's kind of clever. Well, fine. I'll be like that. Um, At any rate, so sure. Uh, once again, yeah. from Morris, Illinois, this is uh, Jimmy G. And from Chicago, the Windy City, uh, this is Sean. And I'm going to wind down right now and blow this popsicle stand. But um bumps. So awesome. We will all talk to you in a few weeks and uh, <laughs> go from there, I guess. So, Don't you go changing. To try and please me. So, alrighty. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Addenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. Changing to try and please me, you never let